The reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Over the last few weeks, we've been thinking about church. What is church? What does it mean to be church? And it's because many, many, I'm getting really old, many, many years ago, I came across a poem called I Have a Dream, and it was I Dream of a Church. And it was a church that I um, was inspired by uh, and, and wanted somehow, someday to be part of, and I still do. In the first week, we talked about it being a worshipping church. And then it was a Bible-based church. And last week, we were thinking about being a praying church. And this week, we are thinking about this verse. I dream of a Spirit-filled church where all are open to the Spirit, where people are constantly seeking to be filled with the Spirit, where people expect to see God at work, where people are unafraid to venture deeper in the spiritual life, where no gift is undervalued or overvalued, where every member has a part to play, for every member has a gift, where people feel free to express their love for one another and for the Lord. I wonder this morning what you expected to happen at church when you came. I, I, I suspect you would have thought there might be some singing, there might be a prayer, there might be a sermon, there might, you know, that kind of stuff, because that's kind of what we usually have in church. But was that it? Did you expect to come and be entertained? Did you expect to come and, well, well, what? What did you expect in walking through the door? Did we expect to see God at work? I think if we really did, if we were praying and expecting God to be present to answer our prayers, we would be seeing more miracles. We'd be seeing more people coming to faith in Christ. We'd have that kind of noisy, lifety exuberance that you find in the nursery because there would be new baby Christians all really excited at what was going on. So are you expecting God to turn up this morning? Because what we expect and, and what we choose and what we think has a huge effect on how we live. And, and that we understand that things around us and things that we have experienced affect the way we live. 
often we are affected and influenced by our history. The past hurts and blessings and relationships and, and all that goes into making us who we are. They've worked in our lives to affect how we live it today. And they want to affect what we believe about God. Now, of course, that's only part of it because we, we then have to make decisions regarding how we choose to respond to our story. For instance, some people who grew up in a family where there was alcoholism, sometimes they follow in that pattern. They follow in those footsteps. Others turn completely from alcohol in response to what they have experienced and lived through. Sometimes people who have lived with abuse become abusers themselves. That, that stuff that we live through and experience in our lives affects what we do and how we are and who we are. Of course, there's other factors that come into play, but, but a lot of it is our own choosing. In church life, there are people who grew up with Christian parents and they follow in those footsteps while others we know turn away from faith and from God and from church altogether. So we have to be careful because having Christian parents doesn't make us Christian. It would be possible to follow the patterns of worship and the lifestyle that's been handed down to us by our parents without ever making a decision to follow Jesus. Today we're going to see that Paul is encouraging the people who are living in Ephesus and us living here today to follow God's example. And he starts in chapter 4 by saying that, that we're really not supposed to live the same way everyone else does. And the reason for that is that the, the way the world thinks is wrong because we're told they've lost sensitivity to God and to the things of God. He says that as believers, we are to put off our old self, our old life, and actively put on the new self. Because that new self was created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. And it is an act. It's a decision. It's a choice. And it's a choice that affects our behavior. If we choose to put on that new self that God gives us, it should affect our language, the way we treat other people, and our attitude to God. It affects our whole being. I sometimes wonder if those of us who were brought up going to church have a slight disadvantage in that regard. In many ways, my life has always included church. It's always kind of included something of God, of praying, of Bible reading, of study, all that kind of stuff. That's, you know, that's my experience. I mean, I'm not suggesting for a moment that I'm perfect. I know the things that I do that I shouldn't do, do you know, but, but generally that's been my experience. And I sometimes listen to people who have this amazing story of overcoming addiction or coming from some other dreadful place and, uh, you know, because they've met Jesus and their whole life has been totally changed, totally transformed. Everything about them is different. And so when you get to this Paul saying, you'll put on this new life, they go, yes! Because it's so different from what they experienced before. 
And they get it. They understand it in a way that I don't. Because new life for me is pretty much like the old life. Do you know? And so sometimes, sometimes I wonder, does, does that message for those of us who have grown up in church lose its impact? Because we don't really see that much difference. Paul is calling us to make some choices based on what Christ has done so that we can live a life worthy of our calling. That is our calling to be daughters and sons of God. And thankfully, he tells us here in this chapter how we can actually do what he said we should do. He says we're to follow God's example. And following God's example means, in verse 2 of chapter 5, he says, walk in the way of love. In verse 8, he says, live as children of light. In verse 17, he says, understand what God's will is. And then in the reading that we had today, I think this is the the crux of the matter. In, In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Paul understands that we can't do this Christian living thing on our own strength and in our own ability. We need the presence of Holy Spirit to help us, to lead us, to guide us, to enable us, to empower us. And here he is in Ephesus, and there was a very mixed religious landscape in Ephesus at that point. The, the, the predominant um, faith was the, the cult of Dionysius. And followers of Dionysius regarded intoxication as a means of inspiration. Quite why they thought that, I've no idea, because if you've ever been around drunk people, I don't think they're necessarily particularly creative. However, there we go. What Paul's saying here is that true inspiration comes from being filled by Holy Spirit. Of course, it's a general uh, warning against being drunk, but but really, he's speaking into that kind of context, that kind of culture. And I wonder too, if the reason that many of us lack passion and enthusiasm and are fearful about speaking up for God is because we're not experiencing the power and fullness of Holy Spirit in our lives day by day. The reason that we suffer spiritual defeat is the absence of that fullness and power of the Spirit in our lives. And so I want to think just very briefly what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And there are four short headings for this. The first is to be filled. It's a command. You'll be filled with the Spirit. It's not a, it's not a kind of, well, you know, if you feel like it today, you know, whatever you think. No, he says, be filled. It's a command. It's obligatory. It's not optional. We believe as Christians that, that when a person asks for forgiveness and gives their life to God in faith, 
a number of things happen. They are forgiven. Um, they're becoming a Christian because they're coming in faith. They become a child, a son, or a daughter of God. And they begin a process through which they're expected, we are expected, to become more and more like Jesus as time goes by. But we also believe that at that moment, Holy Spirit enters them and helps them to live out that calling as they seek to be disciples of Jesus. In church, we call that indwelling. Holy Spirit comes to live in us through faith. Sometimes that's a very dramatic occurrence. Sometimes there's no obvious difference. But actually, that's not really what Paul was talking about here. What, what he's talking about here is, is, is the tense, because, we, because English sometimes is very complicated, sometimes it's not complicated enough. When we get be filled, what he's actually saying is, go on being filled. Every day, every moment of every day, go on being filled with Holy Spirit. Because when Jesus says, you know, rivers of life will flow up from you and, and they'll go out into the world. Well, well, how does that happen if we're not taken in? We, we can't give out what we don't have. And so we need to be filled by the presence and the power and the Spirit of God so that we can live out the life that we're meant to live out. Go on being filled. You can have as much of God's power as you're willing to pay the price to get. Sometimes we think it's only for super spiritual people, but that's not the case. We are all, every single one of God's children, commanded to be filled with the Spirit and to go on being filled with the Spirit. It's the command of God and I think also the great need of the church in the West. To attempt to do the work of God in our own strength is foolishness, and we have to be really careful in how we try to serve God. Whether we're serving the tea or coffee, delivering with the food bank, teaching at Kingdom Kids, or leading worship, we need to pursue the power of God to the best of our ability and in a way that honors God. So the first thing is to be filled. The second thing is that I can be filled. The first point has to do with command and duty. It's an expectation. This one's to do with privilege. For too many of us, the reality is that we've become accustomed to not being so very different to everybody else. We talk about new life. We sing about the power of God. We preach about transformation. But very often, that's not our experience. Maybe we've even gone to churches that don't believe that spiritual gifts are for today. I grew up in that kind of context. So we get used to it. We imagine that our experience is all there is. And we believe that if there is something else, it's not for us. That, that we can't be filled. We can't experience that presence of God. We grow accustomed to mediocrity in Christian life, but as long as we're faithful in church, as long as we give regularly, as long as we turn up, well, then we can kind of overlook the occasional loss of temper or gossiping or whatever. 
for attending church is not the criteria for fullness of the Spirit. Living a holy life is. God longs to give us that fullness of His Spirit so that we can live in victory every day. Verse 2, he says, walk in the way of love. Verse 5, he says, live as children of light. It is possible to do that when we allow God control. We can only do that if we're filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God and it's available for every single believer. So the first is be filled. The second is I can be filled. The third is I want to be filled. It's the motivation, the drive, the desire. Without that, we'll never be filled. It involves deciding to give up our old habits and lifestyle and taking on the habits and lifestyle of Jesus. It involves becoming less enamored with the things of the world and more enthralled by Jesus. It means taking the decision to deal with our temper, our pride, our lust, our drunkenness, or whatever other thing it is that is keeping us from God. It means giving up sometimes our own ambitions and plans and giving them to God. It's not that God never agrees with our hopes and plans and ambitions, but it's always better when he's in them. It's the active decision to remove anything from our lives that that might prevent us from being filled and actively seeking God and pleading with him to fill us. Of course, we have an enemy, and that enemy will whisper in our ear, really? You would give that up? Really? You? You think that's for you? He makes us frightened. He makes us think that we are worth less than we are. But once we say to Jesus, anything and everything for you, that fear becomes joy. And Holy Spirit can fill us. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I I just can't give everything. Well, the rest of verse 2 in this chapter says, Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Jesus gave everything for us. Even on the cross, he was willing to forgive. The innocent sacrificed for the guilty. So when we consider that, how can we not say, yes, Lord, I follow you? So be filled. I can be filled. I want to be filled. And lastly, I will be filled. When a believer gets so hungry for the power of God that they'll pay any price for it, then they'll have it. That's God's promise. When we give ourselves to God to be filled and to be used by him, he will honor our act of obedience and surrender. We come to him believing that he is faithful and he'll do what he says. How do we know that? Well, because in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus says, If you then, 
though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I will be filled as the faith side of this promise, believing that God will deliver his promise of the fullness of his spirit to any believer who prepares themselves and asks for it. It's not about feelings and emotions. It's about faith. It's about obeying the command of God to be filled, believing that every believer can be filled and having the desire and passion to go after a deeper experience with God and believing that God rejoices in responding to that kind of prayer from his people. So the question this morning is, are you filled with the Spirit of God? If you've never asked God to forgive you, if you've never offered him your life, then the answer has to be no. Because this is for his children, people who have come to him in faith and given their life to him, made that choice. But today, you have that opportunity to put that right. And to say, actually, I choose today to trust Jesus. I choose today to seek his forgiveness. I choose today to follow him and to ask him to fill me with his spirit. A simple prayer, an honest prayer along the lines of God, please forgive me. I want to follow you and I need to be filled by your spirit. If you, if you do that, then God says, You've become his child, his son or his daughter. He'll forgive you and he'll fill you. If you're already a believer, then you have to answer that question for yourself. Are you filled with his spirit? Just want to take a moment to pray. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the promise of your Holy Spirit to be poured out. We read in in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost that that happened. And we saw the results. We are here today because throughout history, people like us have given themselves to you in faith and you have used them, you have led and guided them, you have filled them, you have transformed them. And and so faith and life and word has been passed down through the generations and we are here as the recipients of that. Father, if there are people here today who don't have that relationship with you through faith in Jesus, we pray that even now you would speak to their hearts, that you would draw them to you. And if that is you, then that simple prayer, forgive me, I trust you, fill me, 
That's where to start. Father, for those of us who have been around church for a lifetime, we ask that you would fill us. We ask that you would pour out your spirit on us in a way that maybe we've not experienced before. That we would know your presence with us. That we would know that you are here to lead us, to guide us, to comfort us, to protect us, to challenge us, to enable us, to empower us. That when we need wisdom, you give wisdom. That when we need strength, you give strength. That when we are frightened, you come and bring joy. Father, would you fill us? Would you pour out your Spirit on us today? We know that we can't manage on our own. We know that we can't live for you in the way that we should. And so, Father, we pray that you would forgive us where we've tried to do it on our own. Father, help us to realize this is not theoretical. It's not about our heads. It's not about who we think we are. It's not about what we think we've done or not done. It's about you. It's about you and your grace and your mercy and your love and your compassion and your kindness and your goodness. Simply saying, I love you. I love you. And I have your best interests at heart. So will you trust me? And so, Father, we say, yes, we'll trust you. And we believe that where we have genuinely prayed for your presence, you honor that prayer. And so, Father, we say, thank you. And we look forward in expectation to the transformation that Holy Spirit brings. Amen.